This morning, for those of you that are regular, uh, John, we got a ring in here. Nope, okay. Uh, for those of you that are regular, uh, we're going to kind of do what we did on Good Friday. This is not going to be your typical one church sermon. I'm not going to ask questions over the course of the sermon. Uh, I am going to invite you to be reflective over the course. I'm going to tell you the Easter story. I'm going to pick it up where we left off on Good Friday. I'm not going to read it all because it's long and uh, I don't want to take up too much of your time but there is a part of the story I want to get us to and we're going to pause and we're going to just do a deep dive and pull everything we can out of this portion of the story and then yeah we're going to go from there so we picked so that on Friday we left off Jesus had died he had come off the cross he's laying in the tomb most of you already know this story some of for this this reflection is more for those who do not. Um, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. For those of you that have your Bible and want to follow along. Before we get to Luke, I want to take a moment and just talk about what Matthew... Matthew has some details that none of the other Gospels key in on. And I'm going to draw from all four Gospels over the course of the morning because they have different perspectives. They bring different details to the account. And it is not that they are contradicting each other. It's that they are... I'm just going to stay back here. Uh, it is that they are making the picture fuller. Because what is important to one person is not so important to another. And each group was writing to a different group of people. Matthew was writing to the Israelites. Luke was writing to Greeks. And so different details are important to different cultures. And so that's why we have these different stories. Uh, but Matthew sets up Easter Sunday. He says that the Pharisees and the chief priests were worried that the disciples were going to sneak into the tomb and steal Jesus' body and say, look, he's risen because there's no body. The tomb is empty. And so in preparation of this, they sent, they sent guards, a Roman platoon, which is a lot of really highly trained people trying to keep a bunch of fishermen out. This should be a set thing. On top of that, the Romans actually put a seal on the stone. And the seal was designated to make sure that if it was broken, that would mean that the stone had been rolled away and that it wasn't something miraculous. Somebody had broken in and stole the body. In the same way that Caesars and governors would put a seal on a letter, the only way to get through into the letter was to crack open that seal, and then you would know if it was open before it arrived, and somebody was going to probably die for that. So that was the same thing that was done to this tomb. This seal was placed so that if somebody tried to open it, it would know that there was something fishy going on. Well, that brings us to Luke 24, and we read that the ladies who had been following Jesus came to the tomb to do what they would normally do. They would prepare the body for to complete the, the burial process. And they arrive, and the stone is rolled away. Matthew says that the guards are unconscious. The, the, Phar the Pharisees, when they get a hold of this, tell the guards, well, just tell people that you fell asleep and they snuck past you. Uh, that was not a good idea. Roman guards falling asleep on, jo on the job would have been detrimental to them. Like, life-ending. Not career-ending, life-ending decisions. So that would have been terrible thing for Roman guards to say. So the Roman guards are unconscious. The stone has been rolled away. The ladies look into the tomb and the body's gone. And they start to panic. Where is my Lord? Where, where is he? And all of a sudden, two men in dazzling robes 
tell them that didn't he tell you that he was going to come back? He is gone. He is risen. He's doing everything he said he was going to do. And the ladies take off. They're so excited that everything Jesus said he was going to do has come to pass. And he goes, they go to the disciples and tell them that Jesus has come back to life. And what do the disciples do? They get excited and they're like, yeah, no. What do they do? They don't believe him. Ladies, typical guys, hey? Like, you come and you tell them some good news, and guys are like, yeah, right. Mm -hmm." If it would have been a guy, they would have believed it. But, you know, typical. The guys are like, no, this is, you're just, I don't know what's happened, but that is not the case. But Peter, Peter knows something has happened. Peter's not fully convinced that what the ladies are saying is true, but something has happened. And he takes off running for the tomb. And the in the Gospel of John, John says that he runs with him to see, and of course, John gets there first. You know, a typical guy telling the story, I, I won the race, right? I got there first. I stuck my head in first. And they stick in, and it says that Peter looks, and the body is gone, and he goes home wondering what has happened. Not stirred in the faith to believe what Jesus had said had come to pass, just wondering what has happened. And the story shifts to the road of Emus. And there are two disciples walking, and they are mourning. Everything that has happened with Jesus dying on the cross, they are moved, they are disappointed, they are sad, they have lost their friend, they have lost their rabbi. And everything that they believe about Jesus is not going to happen if Jesus is dead. And we read in the story that Jesus appears to them and is like, What's happened? The disciples look at Jesus like, are you crazy? Where have you been? Have you missed the fact that this guy who declared himself to be the Savior is dead? And they're just upset and they're mad with this mystery person who just appears. And then Jesus gets upset with them and says, hey, don't you know what the scriptures say? Don't you know what the prophecies say? And the story says that as they walk, Jesus unfolded the prophecies and unfolded the story and opened their minds to what has happened. And they haven't clued in yet that this mystery guy is Jesus. They haven't clued in yet that this is their Messiah who's come back to life. And it wasn't until they sit down at the house and Jesus breaks bread. In the same way he broke bread at the Last Supper and says that their eyes were open. And as soon as they realize who it was, he disappears. That's not weird, right? Like, hey, it's Jesus. Uh, where'd he go? It says the disciples are so excited that they saw Jesus, they get up and they run back to tell the others what they have experienced. And this is where we pick up the story. The disciples from Emus have arrived and they're just finishing telling their other disciples what they experienced. We pick it up in verse 36. Jesus, as they were telling... And just as they are telling about it, Jesus himself suddenly standing there among them, peace with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. John tells us in his gospel account that the doors were locked. The disciples were hiding. The disciples were convinced that the Pharisees were coming after them because if Jesus was dead, they're next. They were the chosen few they were the faithful few and so the pharisees killed him they're going to find a way to kill them so they're hiding the doors are locked how freaky is it that there's 11 of you hiding in this room and all of a sudden there's 12 of you and jesus says jesus just appears "Ah, who left the door open 
How did you get in? And they're convinced that people just don't appear. I don't know if you've ever been like sitting at home and all of a sudden someone you're expecting doesn't knock on the door and comes in like a normal person, but just is like, hey, I'm here all of a sudden. Like, where did you come from? What window did you climb through? Like, this is not a normal thing. And so what do you conclude when someone just magically appears in a room that is supposedly locked? It's a ghost. There's no way this is actually Jesus. It's got to be a ghost. And they're frightened and they're confused and they're... And we laugh and we're just like, oh, come on, you guys, you're just being ridiculous. But actually put yourself in the story. Okay? Like, we're here. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears right there in the middle of the middle section. You're like, right? That is not like a normal happening. And this is what has happened for them. He wasn't, like I said, he wasn't there at all of a sudden. Boom, he's there. And this is how Jesus responds. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And they asked them, then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And he gave, they gave him a piece of boiled fish, broiled fish. And he ate it as they watched. That's weird, right? He's sitting there by himself eating. They're all like, this is amazing. Like, at this point in the story, I, I kind of feel for the disciples. So Jesus is upset. Like, why are you frightened? Why is this a, surprising you? I told you. I told you lots that I was not going to stay dead, that I was going to die on a cross, and three days later, I was coming back. I told you that this was going to happen, and yet you are surprised, yet you are frightened, yet you are, and there's a part of me that feels for the disciples. Yeah, because Jesus, people don't normally come back from the dead. Normally, people who are dead stay dead. Like, I feel for the guys as they are frightened and confused and like, oh, I can't believe it actually happened. But that right there is the problem. It's that mindset of, I can't believe it actually happened. Why not? You believe Jesus when he fed the 5,000. You believe Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus was supposed to be like beyond return. And you still brought him back. The problem is, is that they, we let doubt get in the way of faith. Their fear was talking louder than their faith, and they were disregarding everything Jesus had said for the fear of what the Pharisees were going to do, a fear that what had happened was final, and they had just, it was a questioning of everything Jesus had taught them. Because if what Jesus said about coming back wasn't true, then what else was fake? What else was a lie? What else was just some hyperbole made up, like hopefully it happens, but it's not really going to happen? Jesus is upset not because they are frightened, but because they doubted. But because everything Jesus had done in the last three years had just been disregarded, and everything he'd ever taught was now just kind of put on the back burner because, like I said, if everything he said about him coming back wasn't true, what else wasn't true? What else did he stretch just a little bit? And so I understand where Jesus is coming from. I understand why he would be frustrated with them but in a way that only jesus can he then remembers that these are people who make mistakes and they they don't get it right all the time and he he 
He meets them where they're at and says, hey, actually, okay, you guys think I'm a ghost. We're going to do some things that prove that I am not a ghost. First of all, I have holes in my hands. That's not what ghosts do. Actually, not only that, I have, I have a body. You can actually touch and feel and you can, you, you know, how many people, you know, are like poking him in the nose, like, hmm, is he really real? Grabbed his hair or something. Like, just make sure that this is actually Jesus back to life. And just take it a step further, Jesus says, well, actually, ghosts don't eat, so why don't you give me something to eat? Why don't you, you know, I'll, I'll really take it to the next. And they give him broiled fish. Really? How long have you been hiding in this room? You don't have something, maybe that was a delicacy, I don't know. I, for me, I'm like, really? <laughs> Got like bacon back there? Or like, is there, no, not bacon, these are Israelites. That, that is definitely not going to be back there. <laughs> that is not an option. <laughs> Got like a Big Mac? I don't know, like something like. <laughs> really fish, but he humors them, he eats it, and he's, you know, nah, anyways. See, I am not a ghost. He basically is saying, see, I'm not a ghost. I can do things that ghosts cannot do. And then he continues on. He says, then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I, the law and the prophets, he says this early in Matthew, that the law and prophets are going to be fulfilled in me. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And I want you to hold on to that line. We're going to come back to it. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you. Oh, oh, I am not still there. I thought I died. Okay. It's one of those days. The mic might die. I'm just going to warn you right now. Until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. There's so often as we read through the Gospels where Jesus says something or he does something amazing and the disciples just don't get it. They continue to see it through human eyes. They don't allow the Spirit to be the one teaching and guiding and opening them up. And so they just continue to get it, continue to miss it, continue to miss it. And then finally, at this moment, this moment when Jesus has come back and he is standing there, it says that Jesus opens their minds and they understand the Scriptures in a way that they've never done before. He says, not only have now opened up the scriptures so that you understand it as it is meant to be understood, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to give you power. He's going to give you gifts. He's going to give you abilities. He's going to be your guide. He's going to be your counselor. He's going to be your source of peace. And he is going to enable you to do everything that I have laid out for you to do. So this morning, there's three things that I want to draw out. And I actually do have three questions for you to reflect on, to take with you this morning. The first thing is, Jesus did the impossible. Jesus brought people back from the dead, and that was not a new miracle. That was something that we read about in the Old Testament. Often that prophets had this ability to bring people back from the dead. That was not a new thing for Jesus to be doing. What the new thing was, was that Jesus came back. Prophets, prophets couldn't bring themselves back. But Jesus did. 
Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus conquered sin. He came back. Jesus did the impossible. And that is probably the most exciting and good thing about Easter is the fact that God can do the impossible. And my question for you this morning is, is there something in life that seems impossible that you need God to move in? Because the good news at Easter is that God can do the impossible. That whatever is going on, that whatever seems too big for you, whatever seems like it is too much for you to handle, it's not too much for God to handle. So what is the impossible thing? And what is impossible for you is not the same as what's impossible for me. Each of us, because of our life experience, because of our, what has gone on, because of the situation we find ourselves in, impossible means different things. For some, it is a family member who feels like they have wandered too far. For some, it is a relationship that just feels too broken. For some, it is an ailment that they have been hunkered down with. It is a pain that just won't go away. What is impossible for you is not impossible for the God who created and sustains everything. The God who says that what is impossible for you is not impossible. There's nothing too big for our God. And the question is, is there something that you have deemed impossible? Is there something that you have given up on? And I'm telling you today, it is not impossible. You do not have to put up with it. You do not have to suffer through it. You do not just have to tolerate it because we serve a God who can do the impossible and he can mend what ever is going on what is it that you have tolerated for far too long that god is saying would you just let me deal with it because jesus said all in matthew he said the reason we don't have we don't ask I think sometimes we know that God knows our thoughts. We know God knows our feelings, that there's no surprises for God. And so we just assume that God sees what's going on and he's just going to do something about it because he's good. And the fact that God doesn't do anything doesn't mean he's not good, but he is waiting. He's waiting for you to step out in faith. He's waiting for you as a son and a daughter to take that leap of faith and say, will you help me, God, I need you to deal with this impossible thing. You do not have because you do not ask. So what is something that is impossible that God is just waiting for you to ask him about? The good news of Easter is God can do the impossible. My second question, is there something in your life that needs forgiveness but you've never asked for? What was that line? What was that thing that at the end what I said we had to remember because we're coming back to it? What's the message that Jesus left with the apostles? There's forgiveness for some, for all. For all who repent. There's forgiveness for all. That means... There is nothing too big. And I think so often we have convinced ourselves that there's something in our past or there's something we're struggling with right now that is just, I've been doing it for too long or it's just too bad, or it's just too awful. And again, this is a matter of perspective. For what is awful and unforgivable in one person's life is not the same in the other, but you're not in this alone. But the problem is, is we convince ourselves it's too big that God doesn't love us enough to take care of it, and so we just don't ask. But forgiveness is not for some. It is not for the chosen few. Forgiveness is for 
all. But it's not for all who ask. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said it's all for who repent. And that is a big word. That is a word that we sometimes gloss over. It's kind of a churchy word. I get it. This is what rep- repentance is not just asking for forgiveness. Repentance is saying, God, I recognize what I've done is wrong. I am doing a 180 from it. I'm done with it. I'm never going back to it. That is a lot bigger than say, simply ask, saying, God, I'm sorry. Because what happens if it's just simply saying, I'm sorry? Well, I can just say, I'm sorry next time I do it. I'll just say, sorry next time I do it. I'll just, I'll, well, I'll just stop saying sorry because I'm sure God's tired of hearing it. Well, maybe that's because saying sorry isn't enough. Jesus said, all who repent, all who recognize the wrongness in the, how much God hates sin, how much what we have done hurts the heart of God, and we're like, God, we love you so much. I'm done with this. I am repenting. I'm turning away. And God says, there's freedom in that. If you are willing to take the step to turn away from it, I will set you free from that. That's good news. That's amazing. It means that there's nothing, not a thing in this life that God will not forgive you of. There's not a thing in this life he will not set you free from. That God's grace and forgiveness is big enough that there is nothing. Nothing you could say, nothing you could do, nothing that he will not forgive you for. And the problem is, is we hold on to it too much. So I have good news for you. You just got to let it go. You just got to stop it. Christianity is not that complicated. What, how do I get? Stop it. Turn away. 180. I am done with this thing. And is it going to try and draw you back? Are you going to be tempted? Of course you're going to be tempted. But God has said, when you're tempted, I am there. Because what's the third part? I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And this is the biggest question, I think, that comes out of Good Friday, is have you been living life as though the Holy Spirit's not there to help you? And I'm going to pick on the guys a little bit, because we kind of have some pride, and we're like, I can, I can handle this, I got this, God, don't worry. And there are things, there are things in our life that we've got. There are things that God says, I've given you a mind, I've given you strength, I've given you wisdom, I've given you things, I've given you the ability to deal with some of it, but I don't know about you, I'd rather play it safe. I'd rather go to God and say, God, you've given me this Holy Spirit, the seal of my salvation that rests in me, that empowers me to do the impossible. So instead of me going out and being 99% sure I got it right, with a 1% chance I'm going to fall flat on my face, I'm just going to go to the source that is 100% right 100% of the time. Because your knowledge is perfect, because your power is perfect, because Holy Spirit, you are perfect. And so even though I might not like what you have to say, I may not like your wisdom, I may not like where you lead and guide me, I know that you're only going to guide me to places that's for my benefit, that's going to help me in the long run. I think so often we don't like asking the Holy Spirit for help because we get caught up in the short game. We want help now. We want things to be better now. And God is so often interested in the process. It's not about an instant fix. It's about going through a trial. It's about going through the process because if we go through the process, we're stronger at the end of it. If God just fixes it, we don't get stronger. We're just like, okay, that was easy. 
should have done that earlier. And sometimes God does that. But sometimes God takes us through a process. Because it's actually the process that makes us stronger. It's actually the trial that makes us smarter. It's when we fail and get back up that we actually learn our lessons. If everything always goes right, you don't learn anything. It's true, I hate to break it to you. And unfortunately, we don't hear that a lot in our culture. We're taught nowadays to run from failure. Avoid failure at all costs. Well, guess what? If you never risk, if you never fail, you never go anywhere. Everything you do, everything you try should have an element of risk. Otherwise, it's too easy. You're not going to learn anything. You're not going to get anywhere. But when we do those big things and we try those hard things and we step out in those acts of faith, God says, I don't just send you out on your own. I've given you my Holy Spirit to strengthen you, to guide you, to give you the wisdom, to give you whatever you need, even if it seems impossible. What is the impossible thing that God is calling, is waiting for you to ask about? What are you going through right now that God is just waiting to forgive you? You just have to ask and turn away. And what is going on in life right now that you think you got it, but it'd probably go a little bit better if you ask the Holy Spirit to help you out with it? Oh, wait. That's not even all the good things about Easter Sunday. I kind of missed one of the major... Jesus came back to life. This is Resurrection Sunday. And not only did Jesus come back to life, He is ascended, He is seated at the right hand of God. We have a good high priest that has experienced all that we have. Jesus came back, and the good news, everything about Christianity, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that if there is no resurrection, there's no hope. Because we can hope in all kinds of things, but the only really, truly amazing thing that we who declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior have hope in is the fact that this is not all there is. That when we declare Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there is eternal life waiting for us. There is life after death, which means that no matter how good this life is going, it's going to get a whole lot better. That everything good about this life is going to pass away because what's waiting for us is eternity. No more sickness, no more death, no more sin, no more nothing. And that should be especially good news if life is not going your way. Because no matter how long life has been in the dumps, it's not going to last forever. There's eternity waiting for you. And God says, do not store up treasures on earth because everything you store up on earth is going to go away. Everything's going to get burned. Everything's going to get destroyed because the only thing that's going to last is the treasures you store up in heaven that are waiting for you on the other side of this life. And eternity... That's worth living for. That's worth making sacrifices for because it means that no matter what I give up, no matter what I sacrifice, is something better waiting for me on the other side. And that is the good news of Easter Sunday. That is the hope that each and every, and all too often we as Christians have a really bad habit of forgetting that. There's been too many times I've watched people in the church live as if there's no eternity. They live for today. And God says that we're supposed to make the most of today, but we're supposed to make the most of today in light of what is waiting for us in eternity.
Eternity is worth living for. Eternity is worth making life change for. It gives so much meaning. It gives so much fulfillment. And eternity is not just for you. Jesus tells us that eternity is something we get to share with our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers and our employees and everyone who dares gets too close should be willing, afraid that they're going to get a little piece of eternity when they get within. This is the good news of Easter, that we serve a God of the impossible, that we serve a God who will forgive anything that we have a Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead rests in us. The same Spirit who was with God at the beginning of the creation of the world rests in us. All of that wisdom, all that power. But even better than those things is that because Jesus came back, because Jesus was resurrected, that means all of us who are faithful followers, all of us who've declared Jesus our Lord and Savior, we get to share in that as well. If Jesus doesn't come back, neither do we. But because Jesus comes back, we get to share in the resurrection that Jesus had. And with that, I'm going to get the Holy Spirit. Or the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's already here. Get the worship team to come up. I'm getting too loud. My mic's like, I can't handle this. It's a good Sunday. As the team comes, I'm going to invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you for the good news of Easter Sunday. Jesus, I thank you that not only did you come back, not only are you resurrected, but that we get to share in that. I thank you, God. There's no greater gift that you could give us, Jesus. I thank you that because of the price you paid, all of our sins are forgiven. And that forgiveness is for all if we are willing to repent and turn from the things that hurt your heart. But not only have you paid the price so that we could be forgiven, you overcame death so that we could too one day. God, I thank you, and I pray that we as faithful followers of you would live in light of eternity, that we would speak knowing that eternity waits, that we would love people knowing eternity waits, that we would just live every day, make the most of every day in light of the hope of eternity that awaits. And God, I pray... I, uh, this morning, if there's anyone here that has been listening and that God is stirring in your heart, maybe you're here and you've never made a commitment to Jesus. You've never declared him as your Lord and Savior, but you're looking at your life being like, you know what, I'm missing something and I could really use what you're talking about. Or maybe you're here and you, as you're listening, you've wandered a little bit. And you're like, you know what? It's time to get back. It's time to make things right. It's time to start living with eternity in mind. If you fall in either one of those two camps, I would invite you, with every head bow and every eye closed, I invite you to raise your hand because I would love to pray with you this morning. Anybody... 
if you're here and you're just, <laughs> you don't want to raise your hand, that's fine. God sees you. God knows what's going on. Everyone online, you can raise your hand as high as you want. I'm not going to see it, so I'm just going to believe that there's people in line. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to every single person whose heart has been stirred this morning. That whether it's somebody from the church or somebody, something that they see or something that they hear, I pray that you, God, would speak into their heart, into their life, instill them with hope, instill them with your joy and your forgiveness. God, may they experience the washing of your love and may they experience being made new. Your word says that when we declare you as our Lord and Savior, we become a new creation. And I just pray, God, that newness would wash over everyone whose heart has been stirred. And they would know what it means to be a faithful follower of you. God, be with us as we go. Continue to speak. Continue to stir. May you inject us with your hope and your joy. In your precious name, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.